0: and we're going and we're going we're getting started we're going and we're going there's that drum 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 welcome to the everyday sniper you got frank from snipers hide here how you guys doing i hope you had a good weekend quick little shout out watch the race on um sunday indianapolis ended the final season wasn't too bad. It made the indie race a little bit better. Congrats to everybody. It was kind of a weird field with some of the better car cars crashing out, and then some of the smaller teams up front and everything. So, but it was kind of cool. Digging, you're giving my my weekly NASCAR update on what's going on because those guys are all out there listening, man. So, quick shout out to everybody. Your your playoffs are now in there, so I guess you could start working on some other stuff. I like the little teams, man. I, I dig what's going on with the the Jermaine Racing guys. Had a good day with Ty Dillon. They had some weird stuff thinking he was going to retire. The kid's like 22, 23 years old, and he's like, "I ain't retiring. What are you crazy?" They're like, "Yeah, why would he?" You know, it's kind of nuts, man. But uh, nope. So uh, shout out to all those guys that their their uh, season's over and they're now into the playoff mode, and they start doing their elimination deal with the sixteen get knocked out. Um, speaking of competition, I'm gonna kind—I've been ignoring it. I hadn't gone near the competitions in quite a while, and and I just got an email. From like the PRS with their state of the series kind of thing. And they're throwing all these big highfalutin numbers. But it's weird, man, because you don't like now that I've kind of backed away from it, you don't hear anything about these events. I see a little bit. I really think they do kind of a crappy job anymore with social media. Like the NRL guys are better because you you got the Connex is a media company doing media and then. The PRS is just, like, one of the things, a question came up on Sniper's Hide over the weekend. It was actually pretty funny. So so you got a guy out there asking about the Daniel Defense rifle, right? That DD-5 or whatever it's called, the bolt-action rifle that they did. And it was, you know, bought as the official rifle of the PRS. And so this guy's over at Sniper's Hide, and he's asking all kinds of questions on it. And, like, everybody's just, like, nah man that's like why waste your time energy and there was a few who came on and said but it's the official rifle of the prs like yeah i haven't seen any on the street though you know i kind of go back and think about when i got together with ruger and the rpr came out and i went and did the media stuff with them and did the marketing and it's funny you know ruger didn't pay me fifty thousand dollars to promote it or to be the official rifle of sniper's hide Yet there's pages and pages. We actually have like three threads that maxed out how many you know pages you can have on the forum with the RPR. And then you go look at like the Ashbury, um, which awesome Ashberry sent me the Trimble uh, chips for field firing solution. i had mentioned that I have the Junos, right? The Trimble Junos, which are more of like the cell phone size uh, of the trimble units instead of the nomad which is gigantic so one of the listeners had sent me two of the junos well i got the chips all installed and that's working good so now i have these junos i can use i'm psyched for that because i like field firing solutions it's it's really good chip but it's chip based which makes it kind of easier in some ways but then the fact that it has to be shot or not shot but used with a windows based pda which nobody's really using anymore so getting like used junos like this it's funny because these junos do have you could put a sim card in them and use them like a cell phone and they actually do quite a bit it's just sort of older tech but it's field tech right and it's field technology so that makes it really cool so i'm sitting here and i'm getting all that stuff tuned up right now so i'm gonna play but back to this you know prs and you know, spending 50 grand so you can be the best of whatever, whatever the number is for whatever little thing. But do you really see, I mean, this is a serious question. Go on to Sniper's Hide, go in the Everyday Sniper section, or go in the Podbean app. Let's get some comments going. We're getting closer up by the end of the year. We're in that last quarter, kind of moving around. Do you see the money? Do you see where this is going, where if your company – and you're saying to yourself, hey man, I got a product, I got a thing, I want to sell to this, I got a, I got an investor, I got a sugar daddy out there with deep pockets, would you pay 50 grand to be an official something of a series? Because honestly, I don't see it resonating. It's like, you know, we, we go to the competitions, or not competitions, but we go to the training uh, events in Alaska, two RPR, yeah, RPRs, two APOs, RPRs are everywhere up there, but I'm going to get into that. Um, two Ashbury Sniper's Hide Edition Ashberries showed up like within the first month. I know we had a little bit of backlog and some people ordered them up and you know we sold a, a, a decent amount of the APO rifles and they're still selling and just going. And here we are, we talk about it, we promote it. Is it You know, is it something with the, like, does Ashbury have the deep pockets of a Daniel defense? No, they don't. You know, they probably could pay me that much money, but it'd be silly to do that. But it's just amazing where I see the investment going and what is the return on investment? What kind of, you know, aside from paying for a title, what do you see kind of coming back our way? Because, I mean, if you think about it, if you're going to be, Somebody who's established in PRS, NRL type comps, you know, you're going in a completely different direction with your rifle system. There's very little promotion and discussion of the non open categories. You know what I mean? Open gets all the attention. So the guys with the six dashers, the GTs or the Creedmoors, or, you know, the six millimeter stuff gets all the attention. So when you get a factory rifle that's supposedly in the production class and there's really just like, you know, I know I've met guys who are on the production class side who who basically just, to, you know, get ignored. I know the one guy who won um, either tactical or production, I forgot what it was, like the first year they did it, had to ask them if they even wanted his picture. He was like standing there the whole time and they're like, no, nah, we're, we're good, we don't need you. He's like, I won this division. And they're like, yeah, nobody cares. And that's kind of what it comes down to. But it's funny, too, because this morning I go on and there was a question about, you know, offhand shooting. And they were bitching that. They had gone to several PRS events, some of the guys. And they're looking at, like, the offhand stages. I guess there was one event that had a 9-inch plate at 300 yards to be shot offhand. And the, the guy who won zeroed it. And, you know, the top five basically zeroed the stage. So it was like, well, what's the point? And it's like, yeah, there's always been contrived stages. And it's not very practical. I mean, nine inch is a headshot, right? So it's like, are you really going to do a headshot offhand or are you going to try to support the rifle? To me, I mean, just going into practicality and to thinking about it, where with our rifles would a offhand shot be applicable during movement right so if I'm coming through a city if I'm moving through coming around a corner and odds are it's going to be inside that hundred yards it's that oh shit kind of deal and on top of that it's going to be a full-size person you know it's not going to be like a head peeking around a corner and and you're going to take an offhand shot Uh, on somebody because if it's just a nine inch headshot then odds are there's not something coming back at you although there could be for sure you know if they have a good hidden position and all that but think about that you know like one of the post shot checklists that i do you know we'll talk about uh wtf as your pre-shot right so win what's your win what are you going to do about it hold or dial target how far are you shooting what are you going to do hold or dial And then fundamentals of marksmanship. That's your post-shot checklist. Well, or your pre-shot. I'm getting all this backwards. Anyway, your pre-shot checklist. So what's your post? Well, me is reset your turrets, right? Zero out your windage, zero out your elevation if you touched one of those. And then for, like, guys working with their rifle system, your LE, your military guys, you should be backing your power all the way to the lowest power, exactly for that. That's kind of a training thing we talk about because if I'm moving from point A to point B, right? If I'm going to move and then I have to use the rifle that's currently in my hand to take some kind of snapshot, I want that field of view open. I want that speed. I'm going to need like, oh shit, there's a target there. What do I do? Right? So being at three, five, whatever power your lowest power is, it at least gives you something i mean that's that was originally one of the ideas behind the red dot on the side of our scopes and rifles right so if i'm moving and i'm walking through an area and a snapshot comes up well what am i after i'm after a quick shot so the red dot so you zero the red dot in there you snap it up you flip it a little bit and even if you're sideways at a 45 it's a big quick target Knock it out. So that's kind of where you're going now. I don't know if the idea behind the offhand shots is to say you're 26 pounds, six millimeters too heavy. That can be something, but at the same time, you should make it, you know, at least like a 66 percent or at that distance, right? So you think about it. Six in size, full size, 18 by 24. You got a six-inch head, makes it 30. Your 66 percenter is like a 12 by 16-ish, and then your 45s are 8.5 by 11, okay? So those are your three main sizes, which are ipsic style targets. And so it would either be, you know, what's your personal danger space? What's the issue? And I could see if you want to protect steel and put it at like 200 yards instead of three, still make it big. Right. Or make it big, but maybe partially expose it. So you're, you know, if you take it a a full IPSC, put like a board there and angle it a little bit and have it so the full six inch by six inch head is showing, but then cut that back shoulder off. That still would be a pretty practical application shot for a stage. You know, so it's it's I don't know, it's 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 a whole it, it it's kind kind of gotten away from the the working, thinking, practical application to the more contrived, the more push it. And And, you know, if everybody zeroes out the stage or if only a few people, you know, get a touch here and there, it really doesn't move the needle very far. And, you know, this is the case of do we learn from our mistakes right and and you know speaking of that i want to talk about learning from mistakes because on um wednesday thursday i did a private class out here we had uh, competition dynamics had their uh one of their team challenge kind of events up in uh, q creek area wyoming and i had two guys from california come in which i actually haven't even checked down to see how they did But they had the adventure challenge, right? Where they're going to run all over the mountains, do like their 30 miles in 24 hours carrying all their stuff. And then they're going to shoot targets and engage with the competition dynamic events. So these guys came and wanted to get spun up a little bit because they're in Colorado a little early. And so, you know, what do we do? So it brings me back into that. So competition vein. So the one thing I noticed is they actually had shot this before. And we're looking to come here now with like no dope, you know. So they didn't have their rifles doped out to distance. They didn't kind of know what they were looking at. So we doped them out. We spun them up. And, um. you know, it, it's it's one of those deals where we gather data for them. So we're not too far off. We're about 4,500 feet above sea level. They're about 6,500 feet around Kew Creek area. So it's not a big, big monster shift. But then it was processes. And and there was a lot of discussion of, you know, what order are you going to do things? How are you going to engage in the team style? How are you going to work together? And looking at this from a practical standpoint, I mean, and it goes down to communication is key, right? Communication is huge, especially in a team situation or you know, like I just did an article for Gun Digest. Uh, I sent it in on Friday, on optics, and I didn't want to go in the traditional mill versus MOA argument. What do you? Get? And I'm like thinking it's their optics edition, and you know nothing's really jumped out big. Like if you're going to think about in this year, what's probably the biggest thing we've seen in optics? Well, probably the NX8 from Nightforce and their changes in there. Little lower cost, a uh, uh, little different in the magnification ranges, smaller, quicker scopes, right? Well, then I see a bunch of new low cost OEM scopes coming out. Like I've written right here, R I T R O N. And a former Navy guy, he's doing that scope. You know, I'm looking at like the Cytron has their scope. Their big Cytron actually looks really cool, you know, but even going down even further to lower cost OEM. That, you know, you, you got your Athlons, your Bushnells, your Vortexes and ones that are built in the in the in that Pacific Rim. Right. Well, these guys are able to go out and OEM like Acme has one for like two, three ninety nine, you know, and it's a decent kind of scope in that lower cost because they're just playing off of what these other guys are doing. The guys that are in that twelve to fifteen hundred dollar range. It's allowing them to get scopes with features in the sort of 600 and less. You know, would I recommend and go for that? But that's some people, that's what they can afford. You know, there's guys out there looking for stuff that's lower cost. Maybe it's bringing kids and a wife up and you don't want to spend night force money. You know, you don't want to spend zero compromise money for something that may not go that way. And so it, it's it's just amazing but I did this article from a communication standpoint, basically saying when you're looking at these choices, it's got to be from a standpoint of communication, you know, and I was talking about that with the wind, right? And and here, I'm going to go back into a whole nother communication side point with the wind calls that we're doing. So why do a mile per hour gun? Why turn around and say hey man, I have a six mile per hour gun. And why work in that format? Well, this was a perfect example and I was able to demonstrate this with the guys. So CD in the competition dynamics event, AR, it's got a carbine element to it where shooter one, the the, the assaulter kind of guy, is shooting a two two three. Then shooter two, he's got his Six five Creed bolt action. Okay. So we have two different platforms for the same team. Well, you can go over and you can now say the 223 is a four mile an hour gun. This one's a six mile an hour gun. Okay. Now you know what your dope is, he knows what his dope is, and you're gonna go do that point one to point you know six that we talk about all the time, episode 70 in the wind reading stuff, right? Well, if you run up to a stage and there's some breeze blowing on, especially Wyoming, you know there's going to be wind. And you can run over and shoot your targets out to say with the 223, you're shooting out to 400 yards, right? I know the max range for the 223, they told me, was 600 yards, but we doped him to 1,000, okay? But 600 yards, we doped him to, and then we did the wind to figure out what his wind holds and everything were. Well, if you go up to the stage and you shoot and then you're coming back and you're going to communicate with your partner, you can say to them, I hit that target with a nine mile an hour wind. Okay. Instead of saying, I hit that target with 1.2 mil, because you doubled it and it was a little more. So maybe you use 1.4, 1.5, right? And you're in the and you're in the and you're in that 556. Five, well, you doubled your four miles an hour, added a 10th, right? And that gave you good centered hits. Well, now you're going to tell your bolt gun guy nine miles an hour, eight miles an hour. Even if you're within a mile per hour, you're going to be pretty good. But so you say nine miles an hour, eight miles an hour. You doubled it. Okay. Well, he's a six mile an hour gun. He knows he's going to do that point six, It's eight, nine. So instead of point six, he's going to do like 0.8. Right. So he's going to hold point eight. Well, you gave him a win call because you said I hit that target with nine miles an hour. So communication then became key. Right. You're not coming off a line. You're shooting a six millimeter Creedmoor. Your buddy who you're shooting a match with is shooting a six five Creedmoor. Instead of coming off the line and saying, well, oh, I held .5 on that target, which point five is not going to work for your buddy. It Might get him close, but it's not right. If you went back and said, oh, I hit it with five miles an hour. I hit that target with five miles an hour. I hit that target with seven miles an hour. You know, even if you're rounded a bit. Oh, but I have a six mile an hour gun. My buddy has a seven mile an hour gun. Oh, I hit it with an eight mile an hour wind. Well, you gave him a wind call now. So with the seven mile an hour gun, you're going to just be holding probably your 0.7, right? Well, with a six mile an hour gun, he's going to be holding 0.8. You're much better Getting each other to line up. You know what I mean? So your calls now have value for each other. Instead of saying, oh, mine was a point eight. It's like, yeah, it's not going to be point eight for me. It's probably going to be a mil. Or, you know, it's not going to be the same for me as for you because we're running two different things. Now, it makes communication that much better. Okay, this is all about shoot, move, communicate. Shoot, move communicate and that's the other thing that i talked to them about you know it's like a cd match and i didn't know i'm guessing on some of it i'm like is it a five minute stage limit which usually up there it would probably be a five minute stage limit right that five minutes can either go really fast or really slow how efficient are you and that efficiency is sort of that communication but it's the movement ride right it's the movement side you have to move into the position get stable, establish your target, you know what I mean? So you're looking for that stability and how, how you know, wh- what are you going to do when you move up to your first stage or your first position? What are you going to do to stabilize the rifle? Okay, so how you move in, how you, in the end from there, how you move towards it as well is going to point out whether you hit it. Think about a CD. You got a pin, competition dynamics event. Pin in the ground, left and right limit, and there's X amount of targets between the left and right limit. So one of the things I worked on with these guys was work from near to far, left to right, just how you read it. So you're going to be going through, and now the question is, do you find them all and kind of scribble a range card down and put your dope and then shoot them and hope you can shoot quick enough to get them, or is it find it, range it, engage it, find it, range it, engage it, find it, range it, engage it? It may be a case where... You know, you say, I'm going to give myself 30 seconds to look. I'm going to scan. And, you know, that was one of the things. Like, these guys only had a laser rangefinder and not binoculars. And for a CD match, I'd recommend binoculars. I mean, maybe that's where you go in the SIG BDX system for some of these comps. You know, because the BDX system cuts a step out. It's giving you dope for range to the target. It gives you the range, but it'll also give you your data. So now you could just write down target one is a 1.5 mil hold. Target two is a 2.6. Target three is a 4.4. Target five is, you know, a 5.2. And then you put that down and say, okay, I'm shooting target one, 1.5. Boom, you're shooting target two. And you really don't know the range, but do you care? You know you're dope, you know? So there's that process. You know, do I scan for 30 seconds and just give myself 30 seconds to scan? And maybe in the scan, they tell me there's eight targets out there. I found six right off the bat. Hey, man, there's six out there that I can see. We'll find the other two. So let's range the six. Let's shoot them. And then we'll find the last two if we have time. Because, you know, you have to look at the clock too, right? So it's that shoot, move, communicate. So we need to go and you need to communicate that as well to the RO so he can spot for you and get your hit. Hey, I'm shooting left to right, near to far, first target's right here. Communication. Tell your partner, okay, my first one I'm doing, I'm going to dope the wind. We're we're looking at it. While one guy's hunting for something, another guy could be looking at a basic wind call and say, we got an average wind of eight miles an hour that's coming from our 10 o'clock. Okay? So, you know, maybe it's going to come down to six. It's going to come down to five because of the angle. But it's a number. You know what I mean? Hey, man, let's just dope it for five. Let's go for the hit because it's not a full degree. And we probably should work on how to co-sign that clock system for people. You know, I know we could do it, and I can basically run it through the the software. But we should be looking at a way as part of our communication to simplify that. Hey, it's 10 o'clock win. I'm reading at 10 o'clock at 8 miles an hour. That means my cross wins a 5. You know, we should start looking at sort of a cosine offset to that. And like I said, I know that stuff's out there. I just never really put a focus on it because I just dope the wind. I go for it and then make the adjustment once that first shot goes. But that's a technique, right? The technique is slow down for that first shot, get your wind call, especially in a place where there is wind and it's going to be variable. I mean, that was a big lesson for these guys coming out to our range, the wind you're always chasing that wind. The wind is always changing. So if you're just going a few miles north to Wyoming into a, you know, Q Creek or one of those places, you know you're going to be experiencing a very similar wind. So that's why we're trying to kind of work this system so it streamlines your communication. Then, like I said, your movement into position, engage the target. So it's that, you know, in a way communication is first because you're going to talk about it. Then you're going to move into the position, build that sta- the, the that stable platform, and then you're going to shoot, engage the target. So it's communicate, move, and shoot instead of shoot, move, communicate, right? So – it it, it kind of runs it backwards on a competition side, where the military side would be the other way. We always said it shoot, move, communicate. Well, it's communicate, move, shoot. You know, and and it's it's kind of going back and forth like that. So that I thought that was kind of neat, just to kind of get these guys spun up. And, I mean, do they're they're not? I mean, they're they're professional guys. They're they're they have jobs. They're out there with their family. This is more of a vacation holiday. Do I expect them to light? the match on fire and to be top three no maybe not but at the same time I think they have a plan now and they're able to recognize it and then I gave them a methodology and a methodology that they can recreate to dope it and I said to them you know hey let's establish our data okay we established our data okay let's put that data into our computer so there's a process right so number one I I don't even look at the the software in the beginning. Number one, I need to establish data. So I need to shoot 200, 300, 400 out to however far I'm going to do that. And I'm going to gather my data using the watermark on the the targets. So now I know 200 is .4, 300 is .8, 400 is 1.6, and so on. Well, then... I gotta now line my computer up to that information. So I need to know my conditions. I need to know my DA, I need to know my Barrow, I need to know the temp, and I need to make sure that my computer is now lined up to the reality I just shot. Okay, so that's done. So that trues my computer and now moving forward, my computer should be able to understand changes in location, atmosphere, conditions, right? So that's established. Well, then I need to know how am I going to shoot these targets? Well, we know with a CD thing, it's probably going to be a bit of alternate position off the ground. They could put bushes, trees, sage, things like that in front of you. So I got to work my tripods. I got to do that. Like I told these guys, if I was doing a CD match, I would almost bring a tripod more than I would bring a bipod. You know, if I had to eliminate weight, because everybody sweats the weight, and it, it's a valid it's a valid concern because they're doing 30 miles in 24 hours, right? So, ooh, excuse me, a little burp there. So it's like, well, okay, I'm sweating the weight. Well, maybe I just bring that friggin' Really Right Stuff tripod and strip away the bags other than maybe a a, a nice rear bag. With that tripod, I could still get to a pretty decent prone if I was given that ability, or I can use my pack because it's only going to be a few shots in the prone, You know, whatever the case may be, but it was like if I was stripping anything and keeping something, I'd probably strip the bipod before I would strip a tripod. But these guys were going to go, the shooting sticks, and he had the pass system, the one that's down at Altus and Core, and that's made for more of the Harris, but he had it on um, an Atlas. He had those, uh, like, carbon fiber, fiberglass extensions, and, you know, because he was expecting that, and he actually made a quiver on the side of his rifle, which I thought was pretty slick, you know, that he knew he was going to be needing these sticks and needed to deploy them pretty quickly under time. And with the Atlas, you know, you're going to have to put a bullet in, knock out the feet and go from there. And um, it, it, you know, so having it in a quiver actually is not too bad, but so you got to be efficient. You got to be able to move through and know I'm doing this job. You're doing this job. Right. So what's each person in a team situation's assignment? I mean, going back, like I, I love this part of it, the 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 2 man, tactical exercise without troops. And in sniper school, this was something they would throw at you like after evening chow, like five, six o'clock in the afternoon. So you'd come back, you'd go to chow, you'd do your thing, and before they let you loose, they'd be like All right, you're coming back, and maybe you had a full day that day. Maybe it was stalks. Maybe it was concealments. Maybe it was land nav. Whatever the case may be, you did something all day, and then they throw this two at you, 6 o'clock at night. And what you had to do was write out your operation plan. You had to write out everything you were going to do, right down to, like, the camouflage pattern on each other's face. And so that's kind of what you have to look at for these competitions as well. What is your tactical exercise without troops? How are you going to map out what you're going to do so each person knows their job? And it it could be even in an individual event, right? You know, it's that second guessing yourself when you have a plan. Okay, oh, I got a plan on how I'm going to do this. And you know you're going to go up and throw your game changer down. But then you see somebody go up and not only throw a game changer down, but use a tripod on the back of the rifle, And it's like, all right, now I'm changing my plan. I didn't practice this. I didn't try it, but I'm going to change it up. And then you see the guys get tangled in their equipment and they tank the stage or they, you know, they zero out the stage and all this stuff. And so that's kind of what you're looking at. Like I look at it from a coach standpoint. It's like, I know I'm busted right now. It's, it's, you know, my shoulders beat, I can't carry things. My movement really hurts. My neck's tweaked up; my, it even to the point where it's messing with my eyes, and it's like okay, but I can still coach a guy onto what he has to do, and maybe he's younger and he's junior and whatever the case may be, and he doesn't have any of these physical limitations that I'm running into. So that guy's going to get do much better and be able to work with that. But we, you know, questions come up on the Podbean app, and we just answered them the last uh, um, episode that I did when I was talking user comments what is the question do i go to a match yes you do go have a plan use it for training and then go back and diagnose it with an after action but if you start basically changing things midstream in a way that you hadn't done prior either hadn't practiced that or hadn't looked at it i mean you you really want to practice that process over and over again and to build some good, strong neural pathways so when you're under time, when you're moving quickly, it's second nature and you're not overly thinking about it. So that's why you need it to be subconscious level because, I mean, a lot of the shooting stuff we do gets reduced to a subconscious thought. You know, it's going out there and doing it without really thinking about it it's muscle memory right it's it's building that process in so Hey, I know this stage. I'm going to go up. I'm going to throw my game changer down. I'm going to balance the rifle in the middle. I'm going to make sure I'm giving it a light kiss to the side. I know at this stage it's 400 to 600 yards. I'm going to need a little bit of wind there. Not so much on the 400 edge a plate, no problem. But at the six, I'm going to I'm going to need about .6 and that target might be small enough that I'm actually going to have to hold wind to center and not edge a plate it because the .6 might throw you just off the edge just enough to be annoying. So I need to be .2 off the side. And not edge, you know, give myself a little bit of fudge room because I know point two is not going to do anything for me. The wind's going to blow it that much at a minimum. So I need my error budget. But when you start doing these things over and over again, that's where that consistency comes in. I mean, that's kind of where I'm talking about where, you know, I'm seeing guys who are even experienced with multiple trigger presses. Fix that trigger press. So you're doing it different every single time you press the trigger. Well, that's where that consistency comes in. But think about shoot, move, communicate, or communicate, then move, then shoot. And how are you going to do that? If it's a team event, you know you got to communicate. If it's an individual event, it's not so much communicate as well as have you practice it? Are you changing it? Do you have a plan? And if the plan fails, how can you adjust it down the road without coming so far out of your comfort zone? Why did that stage fail? You know, because I mean, if you think about it, and I'm guilty of this too, you know, because I always try different stuff. I'm always playing around. I am i don't, at the bottom line, I don't take it that serious. You know, I'm not really like, I'm, I'm big into the thought side of it. I don't really care so much about the results side. I can't, like I said, I've been doing this a long time. I've already made money shooting matches. I've already got prizes and done all that and most of the time even if i go to an event i don't go to the prize table i'm not doing nothing i'm I, it doesn't matter like the end of the event does nothing for me even if it's still the trophies the this the that it it it's zero I, i'm not i don't really see it like you think about it when i went to the guardian and i'm arguing with gary that's not my prize gary i didn't win that stage you know or whatever that was that division i didn't win that you know veteran division you had It's like, I don't care, man. Nah, give it to freaking John McQuay. He's a cop. He's, you know, active duty and he was in one too. He's a veteran, the whole thing. Give it to McQuay more than me. You know, pretend I'm not there. I'm just a number. And when, you know, when the, I'm a number for the RO. And then once the match is over and you, and you kind of move into the prize table part of it, then I kind of, that number should be erased is how I look at it. Because I can call a manufacturer up. I can do this. And why should I take something away from somebody who doesn't have the same resources I have? So to me, it's like erase that number once I get there. Sure, I want to go hang out. Sure, I'm going to socialize. I'm going to have fun and do all these different things. And I want to test myself. Hey, where am I falling down? Where am I breaking? Because there is a training element to a competition that I enjoy. you know. But at the same time, with some of the contrived stuff... Things, it, it, then it becomes like, wow, this is the stupidest stage I've ever seen. Why do I even care? You know, if, you, if you're if you giving me too many of those, then it's like, yeah, I'm not really going to come back. I'm not, you know, I'm not worried about it. Once it's over, I'm going home and, and it's done. And by Wednesday, nobody's going to know anything about this event. And to me, that's kind of seems where everything is. It's like, you know, in, in it's Monday. By Monday, nobody really cares. There's a bit of a hype and a buildup maybe like the biggest one I've seen was that Hornaday event in Utah. You know, aside from like what I saw around the Hornaday deal, I haven't seen anything that kind of lights me up to go, Oh, I want to do that. That looks cool. You know, I mean the gap grind just because you're interacting and it's become so big, but it can, it's conflicting with my training schedule this year. So I'm not going to go to the grind, but then like, you know, the, the the Hornaday event, out of all of them that I've seen, might have been the only one I said, gee, I wish I could have went to that one. That would have been cool. But that was like it. So I don't know. I just think that they need to get smarter in stage design. They need to get smarter in talking about things. And yeah, I'm not going to... Like I said, I'm not going to feed them too much information. It's on them. And if you guys as competitors are happy with what's going on. But I don't, I don't see it. I just got to say, man, I just don't see... Where the success is coming from, I don't see where the return on investment when you're asking for you know 10k to 50k for a, a sponsorship. where's that return on investment? I don't like like I said if I if I won a lot of the other the, tomorrow and said, oh, I'm gonna blow sniper's hide out the everyday sniper, I'm gonna take me to the next level. Would I invest any of that money into any of these series and have like a sniper's hide? I do my own. You know what I mean? I wouldn't invest in what they're doing right now. And that's just my practical, you know, that's just where my head's at. I mean, yeah, I know a lot of you guys would disagree with that and think it's a good thing, but I think it's fallen. I think it's, it's fallen down. It's not, it's not, you know, the campaign promises weren't kept, I guess is is a way of putting it that, that, how I'm looking at this. So no, but I hope those guys did good on the competition dynamics or at least enjoyed themselves. You know what I mean? If they went out there with a plan and they're gonna run this, you know, gut check match and and you know, do this type of event that they enjoyed themselves at least. I liked having them out there and and I like seeing that, you know, their turrets weren't zero zeroed. So we did that. You know, that's kind of like how many guys out there? Come on the Podbean app and let me know. And post a comment. How many guys out there listening, be honest, you know, we'll, we'll tease you a little bit. Don't, right now, don't have your turrets zero-zeroed off your zero. You know what I mean? And, and it was funny. He's like, oh, I wrote down where it's at. You know, it's at like, you know, 3.2. And it's like, okay, why not just put it to zero? And, you know, and, and we see it a lot. Don't get me wrong. It's not uncommon. We see it. Probably even in the classes and stuff, it's probably about a 25% of the people at a minimum that don't have their turrets zero to zero, zero. They've zeroed their rifle at a hundred, but then didn't reset their turrets or how many guys have access to yard lines and have shot them, but haven't doped out the rifle. Like officially hadn't gone 200, 300, 400, 500, where you've gone to a range and zeroed your turret and dialed up until you hit something and then kind of went back and back and forth and you've just bounced around with very little rhyme or reason. You know, that's, that's another thing. But think about it. Move, shoot, communicate. Communicate, move, shoot, right? That's, that's where we're at with that process. So communication's a key element when you're making that buying decision on an optic, you wanna be able to communicate to your buddies. You wanna be talking the same language. If you're an F-class bench rest, whatever, you're MOA guy, right? If you're anything else, you should be talking in mills right now because mills are easier, right? Base 10 is easier than fractions. Okay, it's an easy way to get in there. We know what a penny and a dime is, okay? We can do that. 10 pennies equal a dime. That's a mill. So piece of cake there. But that's what am I doing when I say that? I'm trying to find an easier way to communicate what a mil is without going into one one thousandth of, a, you know, the arc of the vertex of the degree and the angle and all that. I'm not I'm not throwing a bunch of heavy math at you. You know, six, two, eight, three pie, blah, 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 I'm not, you know, I can, I could be start, I could tell you, well, you take a pie and you divide it by this and 6283, but then if you're a military mill and you're doing artillery, back in the turn of the century, the French rounded it to 6400 because it was in artillery, you know, you could start throwing all these numbers at people and go, wow, Frank sounds really, really smart, he's throwing those numbers off the top of his head without the aid of reference, you know, but at the same time, it's like 10 pennies is a dime. I'm communicating it in a much simpler way, rather than trying to impress you with my inside knowledge of what it is. Is it 0.2, 0.25, point this, point that, you know, three tenths on my so 0.108, you know, but an MOA is 1.047, but three tenths of a mil is 1.08, you know, and it's like, all right, dude, we get it. There's numbers. You know, and 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 that's always cracks me up when people just throw all those numbers and start just rattling off that, hoping it makes them sound smart. You know, yeah, I I already know I'm smart. (laughs) That was a good one. So, anyway, so thanks a lot. I'm gonna I'm gonna get this Trimble up and running. If you're gonna go check out that Gun Digest article, it'll be in the magazine when they do their optics thing. I've done a bunch of their articles and stuff, and. I'm glad. Thanks for Ashbury to get me the Trimble and the in the or not the Trimble, but the uh, field firing solution and the and the guys who sent the Trimble over. These are going to work out really good, and it's nice to have the smaller because like field firing solutions has the utilities in there as well. There, there's a muzzle velocity utility, there's a BC utility, there's some really nice little tools and you know the scope check utilities in there, so you can measure it. I mean that's how I do the. um the uh, the tests all the time i use field firing solution and so it's a nice deal all you got to do is say okay i'm 100 yards i'm gonna go this far and how far how many clicks did it do boom put the one number into the uh the you know oh i went 133 clicks okay that's right boom 100 percent oh wait a minute i went 136 up oh, it's only a 98 percent, or you know that kind of stuff so it, it, it's cool that you don't have to do the longhand math you just pull out your little handy-dandy uh, Juno and you open up the utility and field firing solution and boom, you're good to go. So uh, that was definitely a nice one. But uh also last, I want to talk a, one little thing before I, I head off here and get some work done. Uh I'm going to bring back the bullet point videos, I think. I'm looking at some of the stuff. I got Burger, Capstone, Lapua sent me some of their ammo, their Six Creed more and some different stuff. I got the KDX. I'm gonna use the Sheepdog six millimeter Creedmoor that I have from KDX, as well as I got to do the Strike Nuke. And I'm like looking at all these little products, stuff that I'm working on here, like the written scopes, uh, the the ammo, the chassis systems. I'm gonna start doing the bullet points, which will be like less than five minute videos that are just kind of turn you on to what I'm looking at. So if you have a suggestion for a bullet point. And, and, and again, don't get too crazy. It, it, these are meant to be shorter videos, which I call my, I call them a bullet point, right? So they're just to give you the high points, the highlights of, of what we're talking about instead of trying to do these 10, 15 minute, you know, dig down. And I mean, everybody just tears these videos up anyway. It's like some guy came on and I like the Bartland video, the Bartland barrel YouTube video that I did. Some guy came on and said, oh, all that tech's great, but Hammer Forge kicks their ass. It's like what Hammer Forge barrels won stuff that Bartlands won, like I can't even think of a Hammer Forge barrel that'll keep up with a Bartland in like the bench rest and F class world, and you know where where X ring accuracy is measured, and and so I just find it funny. So when, when you're getting so much kind of like lame ass responses in some of these videos, I hate like responding to my YouTube channel because there's so, I mean, it's, it's 75% stupidity of what I'm reading. And, and sorry, man, if, if, uh, if you're one of those guys who's responded that I kind of, you know, laughed at, but that's the way I look at it. It's like, you know, you need to not talk. And, you know, just like the guy, somebody came on, this guy spammed, this was funny as shit. So, Uh, It was two areas. So one thing, a a bubble, somebody asked about it. I'm going to get into it later. But this is kind of funny to bring up because it all ties in directly. So I get like these four YouTube messages that says, Frank Gallery is a piece of shit, attacks veterans and is no good and banned a guy who knew more than him. I'm like, what the fuck is this guy talking about? Then it was a thread on Sniper Side where actually guys are asking like 100 Yard Zero stuff. Where do you zero? And people are at zero at 100. And somebody comes over, I zero at 200. Somebody will come over, I zero at 300. And I zero at 200 because of this. And I do this and do that. And so this is going, then a guy comes on and he's like, I zero at 500. And I'm like, what the frick? So at first I didn't see the 500 yard zero. And he's like, I dialed down. I'm oh, well, do And the question was originally, I'm I'm messing this story up. But the original question was, in this case, how far below zero do you set your zero stop? So for most people, it's 0.5 mil, you know, the, the, and, and you always want a little, if you can do it, a little tiny bit below zero, like there's some turrets out there that don't go below zero from the factory and you can't adjust them. Just They stop at zero and that's where they are. There's others like Schmidt and Bender is one of them goes like 0. .4, 0. 5 below zero. So that's like two minutes. That's good, right? Because you always want a little bit, so you don't always have to defeat it. There, there, there's some benefit to having a little bit, not a lot, but a little bit below zero. So this guy comes on and he's like, I'm four mils below zero. I'm like, what the frig? Why would you be four mils below zero? So I didn't see he had like a 500-yard zero. Then he's like, Never answered it. I'm like, dude, everything inside a hunter is up. And he never came back. Like, we went back and forth like four times. He never said, yeah, but my zero's at five. And I didn't read it. I missed it. Then finally, like, after the fifth one, it's like he has a 500 yard zero. I'm like, what kind of idiot has a 500 yard zero? It'll never be the same. It'll move. We'll then come to find out somewhere on his property, he has a feeder. And he zeroes on his feeder. But I'm even like, even that won't hold. What, your winter's different than your summer? Your fall is different than your spring? Like, you know, I get what you're doing, but it's stupid. But that's the kind of person who comes in without really explaining it. And, you know, are going to give that advice to somebody. It has nothing to do with his individual situation. His unique situation but he's gonna he's gonna go in a in a informational thread and try to tell you I'm four mils below zero. It's like man, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. You were a freaking idiot. Well, then we go back and forth, back and forth, and then he's a douchebag and he's like I'm smarter than you. I'm like how is that being smarter than me that you never explained it when I kept bringing it up about always dialing up from a hundred yards and. You're rocking a 500-yard zero, which is the dumbest thing on the planet because you think you have a friggin' feeder and you're just going to zero on that as if your zero is anything. You know? His zero, let's let's call him like a minute shooter. He's got a five-inch wobble zone on his zero alone, right? It's like, okay, dude, you're a genius. You know? Instead of having like, you know, three-tenths of an inch, he's got, you know, five inches. But anyway... So then this guy, so I'm, like, going back and forth, and the guy started being a douchebag. And I'm like, you know what? You're always putting in dumb shit. Get off my site. You're out of here, dude. Leave, fucking go. So then this guy starts chasing me around, saying I'm attacking veterans and doing all this other shit and just trying to twist it into this crazy ass, uh, you know, convoluted justification and it, and then Frank attacked a guy with a bubble level who's... And it's like, yeah, because it's stupid. I gave you friggin' reasons. And I'm going to talk about that later, not today. But it's like I gave you all these reasons why people can't. Which one of these reasons is solved with a bubble? Here's five reasons why you would potentially can't your rifle. Which one is solved with a bubble? And none of them. And nobody answers it. Nobody says nothing. But it's just like, so these videos, man... Like I like the video, and I'm getting back. I got my computer back up and working today. The final drive is coming because I was running into a problem with like these adapters from my Thunderbolt two to Thunderbolt three was acting stupid, and it kept giving me this weird error message on in the. Com- I hit a button, and all of a sudden it like stopped. That was weird. Hopefully, it's still going. Um, yeah, it was like weird. I hit a, well, my keyboard and it just like stopped all of a sudden. So, hopefully, I didn't lose you guys. But anyway, so I got my computer up and going. So, it should be pretty good uh, with the video stuff. But anyway, go to the PodMe app, go on Sniper Side in the everyday sniper section. Go over and um, let me know what you're thinking with some of these questions. Have you seen this year's PRS system like working out, man? I, I guess there's been less drama, but is there just as much? promotion and thought going into it, I guess would be my question. Cause to me, it seems like it's kind of fallen off the radar a bit and it's only the, 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 the the faithful that are are doing anything. So, I mean, while, while it says the numbers are growing and getting bigger, is it really doing anything for companies, you know, or is it just getting better for them? Which if, if that's the case, more power to you, dude, you know, but I kind of always look at what the return on investment when somebody invests in me, What do I give back is always a factor for me. Anyway, thanks for listening. Thanks for being part of the Everyday Sniper. Get your comments up, and then I'm going to go through. There's some good comments on there. There was a funny one. The dude's like, where's Mike? He's ghosting us. I'm like, oh, shit. Listen to that. Yeah, man, go call him up and bug him. You know? I don't know what to tell you, dude. So, anyway... You're listening to the Everyday Sniper. You guys can head over iTunes, Podbean, check it out. Make your comments. Go to Sniper Side. Uh, it's it's been a good time, and I'll talk to you soon. Cheers. Heavy metal running through time traveling Chinese. They're out there. They're gonna get you. They're probing. They're probing. They're probing.